the tangerine popsicles from, what is it, Trader Joe's? I can see that about you. What? What does that mean? <laughs> you saying I'm fruity? I feel like you would be into fruity sweets. Wow. Steven, help. I think you're a fruit. <laughs> oh my God. Do you, are sour or, I'm not, or chocolate? I really don't care for fruit. I'm a, I'm a chocolate guy. Oh, what okay, if, I'm what a if chocolate are, one too, but. If I were, I'd be an apple. I'd be Red Delicious. Because that's the apple that's like, no one really likes Red Delicious apples. Like, if you ask someone, would you rather a Red Delicious, a Sour Green, or any of these other great ones like Gala? Fuji. Or Fuji, thank you. Yeah. Fuji. No one's going to choose Red Delicious. That's why I feel <laughs> But it's in the name. You're like, it's got to be good. It's Red Delicious. <laughs> you're, you're big and you're voluptuous, but you take a bite and you're like, oh, that's not good. There's, there's no flavor. There's no texture. <laughs> I hate this self-deprecation. And then you get to the core and you're like, this, I regret, I regret eating this. This wasn't my favorite apple. This is a great segue into today's podcast. The tragedies of euphoria. The highs and lows of youth, which is wasted on the young. (sighs) Well, also like self-image and self-deprecation and... Huge. Yes. So... This is our first episode after the Oscars. What wasn't the Oscars crazy? <gasps> Whoa! I shocking results, Stephen. Yeah. The way Coda won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your face oh. when Coda won. Okay, uh, it was priceless. No, uh, Coda didn't win. It was great to see Power of the Dog win. <laughs> We're both gonna be wrong. <laughs> but it's our first episode after the slew of Oscar episodes, and we all again just like Succession took some time to watch through euphoria on HBO, which is now HBO's second most watched show of all time behind game of Thrones. Uh, so obviously we had to watch it and season two just ended a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Gabe, who do we have with us today? Back on the cast, back at it again. <laughs> we have Allie Burnett. It's good to be here tonight. <laughs> it's good to be here. It's good to be here. It's so tonight. good. I love the cult podcast. Yeah. I always listen to every episode I'm on. It's really a pleasure. Yeah, so Euphoria is a show. It is a show. And Gabe loves it, and so does Allie. Yeah. Or she likes it a lot. Biggest surprise, I think, of the year so far for me was how much I fell in love with this show. Did not expect it. I typically hate, and I use that word like very intentionally, <laughs> high school as a setting, mm-hmm. any kind of melodrama with like teenagers just i just move on immediately you're not a like she's all that guy no well yeah any it doesn't matter like what the tone is of the show i just think young young people aren't interesting to me because it's like been there done that well no not even that that's totally not it (laughs) because i don't know but euphoria is very unique in many ways i think for what it is like it's not like high school is the setting but it's not like the characters i think are we already there Okay. Are we no, already no, no. In the cast? Sorry, we're jumping ahead. Well, I was going to say for this cast, I think for anyone listening that doesn't know what Euphoria is, we're probably not the right people to describe to you what it is, but you should definitely go check it out if you're interested and can handle like very mature mature content, explicit content. But I don't I don't think we should rehash the plot, the characters and everything. Um but I do think we should mention who is behind this show Yeah, and why before we get into talking about it. Where today we're going to focus on season two more so than the first season and the two in-between episodes. So Gabe, who is the auteur behind this show? Well, the main creative driving force here is a guy, 
a cis white male <laughs> by the name of Sam Levinson. Even though this is a, a an adaptation of, I think, an Israeli production from 2012 of the same name, Sam, I don't know how the project started, but he brought it and adapted it for an American audience for a very, very modern story. Yeah, modern, modern depiction. But he often also credits, as far as like a creative vision goes, his cinematographer, Marcel Rev. Both of them kind of created the look and the feel of the mm. show together. So Cinematography is as much of a character in the show as the characters themselves, I would say. Yeah. And there are, there are a few other cinematographers credited, but Marcel, I think, is the the voice behind the camera. Yeah. If and the visuals are so important mm-hmm. to what makes this show what it is mm-hmm. and what makes it so intriguing. And there's this really interesting marriage, I think, in this show about the realities, like the harsh realities of what the youth are going through today. I mean, some of the youth, obviously. And this surrealism of the way the show is visually transcribed. You get a lot of like surrealism in the way certain things are shot and the colors. And mm-hmm. it kind of feels like a dream in some sense, in yeah. some scenes. Yeah, totally. Um, and some things feel really idealistic, like the yeah. way like certain characters are captured in certain moments and intimacy and things like that. But then there's also like this gritty reality to like the darkness and like yeah. the repercussions of some of these decisions yeah. um, that these characters are making. Yeah. This show, the look of the show matches the idealism that I remember from being an adolescent and the sort of uh, hyper-realistic state of like a dreamlike being of anticipation of what's next and the lure and lust of, you know, desire and relationship and navigating that time. Yeah, I think it really captures high school. And yeah. um, even though there's specific issues that this specific group of people are going through that is perhaps unique to them and their space and time, there's this universality of time feeling like it's frozen when you're mm-hmm. in high school. Like time is just going to go on forever. And forever. you can't look beyond that in a lot of sense. And there is this scene where the characters are at a dance and they're talking about that. And Cassie specifically um, brings kind of like that idea up. She says something like, after high school, you just have a boring job and boring husbands and boring this. And this is where we like hit our peak which is really interesting because that's true for a lot of people in the sense where they feel like they kind of mm-hmm. get acclimated and feel euphoric. Yeah. It's funny because those characters, despite being bogged down in their naivete, naivete, they're constantly being kind of very introspective. And it's funny that conversation that you're talking about in particular towards the end of season one uh, is a great example of that. And they, they're always talking about like what the high school experience is compared to the rest of life and Mm -hmm. how, you know, some people think it's everything. Some people think it's ultimately nothing. Yes. Uh, When you have the perspective of being in real life later on, Mm -hmm. but ultimately they're all like still caught up in the moment Mm -hmm. and not able to really get a sense for (laughs) what that really is. Mm -hmm. Because it is, it is both. It is very important and it is a huge part of life, but it's also not like everything. It's not the the world. And that was reiterated with Coleman Domingo's character in the Rue episode Mm -hmm. of 
there's two episodes between the seasons, season one and season two that exist so far. They're two standalone episodes that focus on the character of Rue, played by Zendaya, and the character of Jules, played by Hunter Schaefer. And Coleman Domingo plays Rue's sponsor, ex-addict. They're all still addicts or whatever, but, you know, just... He's seven years sober. He's seven years sober, and he's he's uh, trying to talk her through, you know, the realities of life, and she's navigating the world that she knows. And he says to her, you know, after high school... <laughs> Like everything changes. Like you, you don't look at the time in high school as like the definitive part of your life. It's like things just continually change after you leave. And so how you view the world now doesn't really, it's not going to play into the rest of your life. And he tries to kind of tell it to her straight and she has a hard time kind of coping with that. In her words, she says the, the idea of not being with the person that she's with in high school terrifies her. I think to speak to their experience though, when you are in high school, these moments feel so mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. And overwhelming at yeah. times. Yeah. The good ones and the bad ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like the thing that this show does like exceptionally well is creating sort of an overwhelming sensationalist uh, experience that matches the overwhelming emotions of being a teenager. And regardless of whether I've had those experiences specifically, I remember like feeling some of those same emotions that the show creates but the show creates them through like technical feat and engineering and editing, like exceptional filmmaking. And that's how it conveys that idea, you know, those ideas across. But with that, for me specifically, it can sometimes be a little bit too surreal or like melodramatic for me to feel as invested as I, I think a lot of people feel about this show. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I loved like the surrealism part of it. Like I love like Pan's Labyrinth and like... Mm-hmm. Not that this is like Pan's Labyrinth, but like I love when things are accentuated by the use of visuals mm-hmm. um, because I think in some cases it can really make things more profound or, you know, by capturing our eye, it can make us think about the situation differently. So I really love, yeah, the visual aspect of it. It is very on the other hand, is very explicit. Yeah, I I mean, one of the reasons I talk about the melodrama and the sensationalism is that this show seems to be hailed as, as being like this definitive capturing of this generation. Mm. And I really... <laughs> I really hope that, that people that are in this generation look at this show... And go, well, that's not exactly how it is. Because it, because it's a little bit too sensationalized. Well, yeah. And keep in mind, high schoolers shouldn't and, be watching this show, probably. <laughs> True. <laughs> too late. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, comparing it to something like Pan's Labyrinth, which uses sensationalism in a way that gives it this sort of fairy tale quality. Euphoria also has a fairy tale quality, but I just wish people would recognize that more, I guess, when, when discussing this show, because the fairy tale aspect of it kind of sets it apart from being realistic. And I think that just needs to be noted more frequently because people seem to look to the show as almost like a savior for this generation defining like, ah, oh, it just captures it so well, like that kind of idea. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think that. I think it's both. And like, it's capturing issues uh, that high schoolers are facing today. 
that, you know, we didn't face when we were in high school, some of them. And, but it's using the visuals and the surrealism as a tool to tell the story creatively, right? So it's not that like, I think it's this idealistic way to show this generation more so I think it's using the visuals like I said as a tool to express the trials and the traumas that these characters are going through yeah there's also like the fact that all this stuff happens within this one group of friends Mm -hmm. is a little bit happenstantial (laughs) and that alone is just a, a tad bit unrealistic Although every journey is compelling, I should say, like I, especially in season two, I found myself much more compelled than in season one of, of every character, except they did focus a, a little bit less on some of the characters like Kat had much more of a focus in season one than in season two. Lexi had much more of a focus in season two than season one. So mm-hmm. that was also interesting how some characters took a back seat. I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope that it was they, refreshing. Yeah. I hope that they do that going forward uh, if they do make more. I hope that they focus on, you know, some people more than others for the next season. Are, are they planning on me? I would assume. Was it you, Gabe, that I was talking to about, like, it seems like they're doing, like, half years? Or was it you? You told me that. Because season two starts literally on January 1st on New Year's, which is, like, after the first semester. So it seems like season one was the first semester of the junior year. Season two was their second semester of junior year. And it seems like we'll see their senior year. So they'll probably, I would assume, two more seasons mm-hmm. of Euphoria. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add, too, that, like, uh, you know, it is showcasing, like, what we said, you know, maybe some of the specific issues that this generation of high schoolers are going through. But it also does focus on some really um, intense traumas mm-hmm. and things that like any generation could probably relate to in the Mm -hmm. terms of like every generation has its own traumas so trauma was absolutely a theme but the digital age specifically uh is tied into a lot of the trauma that some of these characters go through um yeah totally like i'm thinking specifically of nate and Cassie? Everything with his dad. Oh, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cal. Cal. Cal's, um, you know, a hugely important character. I think he's... He's a big character. Yeah. I mean, apart from uh, a couple of the moms or Coleman Domingo, I think he's one of the biggest folk, uh, adult He's focuses. the main adult focus. Yeah. He's the only one that gets a backstory. True. Uh, I really like that actor, though, a lot. I feel like he plays the perfect, like, middle-aged white man who could snap at any moment. Yeah. Sure. That's Grey's Anatomy, Eric Dane. You put some respect on that name. He was also multiple man in X-Men The Last Stand. Mm. Oh my gosh. Some fun fact for you. He was. He looked very different in that. Time Time is a bitch. Um, He actually looks really, I think he looks better now than he did then. So yeah, it it deals with some very dark issues. And in fact, Stephen and I started the show sometime last year and we watched a few episodes and I decided not to proceed with it because it was so dark and it felt kind of stressful, stressful, depressing, sad. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're just watching these characters like make some really sad decisions or like, I guess decisions that have sad repercussions, um, on their well-being. Um, and so we stopped it, but then we had multiple people say, you have to watch it. 
it's really great. And so over the past couple of weeks, we decided to yeah give it another go. And the culmination of it, um, it led to a lot more depth than I was expecting, a lot more creativity and just a good discussion. There's so much depth to the characters and what they go through and... Um, it's more than meets the eye. Uh, Transformers. Granted, when you do start it, things are... Intense. Intense, like I said, the and actual explicit. situations, but also, yeah, it's very explicit. And so um, if you're sensitive to, to any of that, then, you know, it might not be the show for you. But the shows like Game of Thrones and Euphoria, they have like a very explicit nature. There's a lot of nudity and sex scenes which makes sense why a lot of people you know there's a lot of hype around those types of shows because there's a lot of curiosity even like abuse and like torture and stuff there's like some uh like sadomasochism and like control and uh just a lot of things they explore and anyways my question is what do you think the role of having a show use such an explicit nature does uh maybe like in general but like more so i guess as for the story itself for the audience like is it necessary is it not necessary if this show didn't have it would it be the show that it is well that is a fantastic question ali and uh i'd like to take this opportunity to tell you why i think euphoria is an incredible show (laughs) (laughs) and Entirely deserving of its iconic status, not just both in today, but what I believe will be uh, posterity. You know, years from now, we'll look back and say, you know, this was kind of a definitive show for the time it was created in and, you know, set for, made for. Um, And a huge part of that is the maturity of the thematic, uh, what would they say? Like if I was a rating board, I would say, this is uh, for a mature audience. It is everything you said is explicit, both um, in sex and violence and drugs, and also just like intense. It's very intense. There are so many sequences in this show, not the least of which is Rue's entire psychotic breakdown in episode five of season two, in which you are just like uh, kind of in shock at what you're seeing. Yeah, off the rails. And we get a lot of that in today's media, you know, uh, stuff like everything from. <laughs> The flamboyancy of like reality TV all the way to cinema. We have like Quentin Tarantino making hyper-violent film. So I think it's an incredible discussion to have. And I think to answer your question, if if I can attempt to do that, it, I would think it is both uh, important, I think, um, not just in terms of the success of the show, but I think it's like part of what we're trying to do here as an artistic medium you know is mm-hmm. what the story is trying to achieve the response it's trying to evoke from the audience and also why it is so sensational and why it is so popular because people love that they eat it up and we've seen that time and time again throughout the years but i think it is so important to tell because throwing back to what you guys said earlier this is not everybody's experience in high school mm-hmm. you know this is this is a bit of a caricature of what that part of an you know a person's life is and i'm sure there are some people who have similar experiences. Uh, yeah a very similar experience to the stories that are played out in the show but it is ultimately for most uh 
not about a literal interpretation, but it is what I initially thought it was before I even started the show after Stephen was describing it to me, which is that it is capturing the essence of what it is to be that age in the modern world because of everything from, like you said, Allie, from social media to what just the high school experience has become, you know, even mm-hmm. outside of that. The expectations they have on themselves and also in the context of the greater world. And a lot of that, when you when you are thinking about being in that experience, it feels like everything. It feels so intense, and it feels like everything is life or death, and it is the end of the world. And a drug, like for instance, literally biologically, that age in your life, not that I have a rich history in drug use, recreationally or medicinally, um, it is literally something that'll... It, be like every it is it is world changing you know to you i think from what i you know have read <laughs> it is the richness of the show i think and the uh the intensity of it is why it's left such an impact on me and it even reminds me of things from recent years like dark because the atmosphere it creates and that is to credit every single element of the show mm. in the technical filmmaking you mm-hmm. know from like we said the cinematography and the camera work Mm-hmm. which is unlike anything I've ever seen, really, at least for this kind of a story. All the way to the sound, like the music Labyrinth composed for the show, to the narrative. And the, it is it is uh, remarkable, I think. And it's not only a cut above its kind for a, a television, but like I said, I've never been so engrossed and so immersed in a high school story. And it's not a high school story for me. High school is the setting but it transcends that thematically. It is, it is a very human story. And I was shocked by how I empathized literally with every single character in this show, not because I have been in those situations, but because of the emotions that were being conveyed. Yeah. You know? Like even yeah. like someone like Maddie or, mm-hmm. um, or Nate, yeah, or like Cassie. Every journey that is in the show from the characters is unique and it is important and it is huge. Yeah. That, it, yeah. That's something I said to Steven, actually, because I think when we started the show, it can be so easy to judge characters like that because you're, because you immediately see all these like really, I don't know, intense scenes and some not great decisions. And, you know, it's so easy to judge people and say, like, why are they acting that way? Yeah. You know, why is he being so cruel? Why is that, you know? But then as you go, to follow along these characters, you realize they're all have all these traumas and these hurts. And this is why precisely why they're acting in this way, whether it's someone like Cassie, who's um, often very emotional and reactive or someone Mm. like Nate, who actually also is um, in other ways, but through anger as his emotion, they've been through really um, difficult traumas. And that's why they, they are the way they are. And I think it really creates a lot of empathy for people in general, you know, especially the people you might not understand. Like, why are, why are they doing this? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to close that gap, I think. But uh, to your point, Allie, while the, like, (laughs) again, to go back to like the person watching it might not be able to relate directly Mm -hmm. like the context for every person and this will be different and the stakes will be different for every person but when you i think if you really take a close look at your own life you'll be able to draw comparisons and parallels to Mm -hmm. to the journeys in this show and like for me specifically it was mostly rue who did that Mm -hmm. 
uh, all the way through, like with her, like you said, everybody's always making the wrong decisions over and over, whether it's deliberately or, you know, it felt more of a kind of an incidental nature. Rue is someone who is like so, and she is mostly the framework for the show. She's the Mm -hmm. one who's constantly narrating everything, Mm -hmm. which I loved just on another level. But um, she specifically for me was the main point of connection because she is such a relentlessly self-destructive person. And like I said, I've never had that experience that she did with like the heroin and the opiates and all that insane drug use and then her psychotic break. But in terms of like making those decisions over again, whatever that might be in your own life, I really connected with that character in a way that I don't think I've connected with a character in television in years. Mm. Like even like my favorite shows, I've never had a character that I was so, uh, I don't know if empathizing with is the right word, but I, I felt like that was, and even in the way she was speaking and the way she was behaving, the conversations that she had, not the least of which was with Ali at the diner in that mid-season episode or that mid-series episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was ridiculously down to my level, mm-hmm. and I was like, I can put myself in her shoes, even though I don't know exactly what she's going through. I feel a connection here that is profound. Mm-hmm. Not to say that like the show is highbrow in every sense of the word. Like the melodrama is still there, but it is such. There are such uh, insane truths in this show, and I've it is it is broached in such a way that I think. Again, to bring it back to your point of sensationalism, it is delivered in such a way that is entertaining, but it is at its core extremely human and extremely important to be able to like mm-hmm. break these issues down and deconstruct what these characters are going through. Because mm-hmm. uh, everyone, I feel like if they really take a good look, like I said, at their own lives, they'll be able to connect with each of these characters mm-hmm. for all the own, like each one is unique and all their struggles are. Like for instance, uh, you had, Lexi being a spectator in her own life and the way each person deals with their experiences, it's it's really insane. And dedicating all those episode intros to like giving you backstory and more context to really fleshing out yeah. each of the characters is just is crazy. Yeah, it's episode. just really good. It's not just good filmmaking, it's good mm-hmm. storytelling. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I, I have to agree with you there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it did it was funny because season two, like you said, is a very kind of a different beast than season one. In so many ways, one of which I just discovered the other day, which is they shot a lot of that season, probably wasn't the whole thing, as you said, but a lot of that second season was shot on Kodak Ektachrome, which is an incredibly rich film format. And it gives that added sense of... um, Hyperrealism. Yeah, exactly. That's basically it, hyperrealism. And adding, like to Ali said, the dreamlike quality of the... Mm of the show and the experiences. Yeah, so, right. it's very dreamlike. I mean, even all the, the characters, most of them wear glitter. And I know that's a trend amongst, you know, the youth. But even, like, the glitter and, like, there's just so many different elements that just, yeah, it felt yeah, even very outside, dreamlike. It's even the whole, like, meta storytelling with the stage production in the end yes, of the second season. Yes, I loved season. that. It was so bizarre because... We've we've now established like everything the show can do to be surreal and yet still approachable <laughs> and accessible. It is now done. It has shown you yeah. through the technical filmmaking and the camera work and the sound. It has done all those things, and now it is literally playing with the narrative to make you like <laughs> to make it seem like a dream. Yeah, because ultimately that's what it is. But it's and and I think that was a huge credit to the show for me. I know some people weren't thrilled with 
the second season because it left some of those other characters hanging. Like you said, Kat didn't shine in season two like she did in season one. And you may be ending the second series feeling like there were some unresolved character arcs there. Mm. But I think I think it's only going to build that momentum into the third series, which I'm sure yeah. they're going to do. And each, I mean, each season can only spend so much time on each character, right? And what's cool is it, the second season gave other characters room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I really enjoyed all of the attention they put on Lexi, especially because she's kind of like... Uh, even though she has her own trauma too with her dad leaving and all of that, she handles her trauma so differently than her sister. And then it also plays into when... And her mom. And her mom. But it also plays into um, this conversation that she and Rue have, um, I think after they had smoked uh, marijuana or something. And uh, Lexi was saying... oh, for Well, Rue was saying that for her, it takes all the bad away and she can just kind of like... Be chill but for Lexi she said it brought all the bad forward mm. and that's so true like um with drug abuse like from from many different stories I've heard and people I've even talked to or people I've seen even like with alcohol like alcohol you know for one person it makes all the good come up right and then for another person it's all tears and it's really um yeah difficult all the bad comes up and yeah. so it it is really um it was really interesting the way they kind of like explored that how different people different characters within the show deal with their trauma differently um and lexi was like a refreshing character to kind of focus on as well as having fezco i feel like he's like such a fan favorite um mm-hmm. because he's oh he's just great like i feel like he's just this best drug dealer i ever knew (laughs) (laughs) this super loyalist like actually really kind-hearted person but who grew up in a really rough way and so he has like this rough exterior and way of like living and speaking i mean he like it shows in that one scene he's having this you know flirtatious conversation with lexi and and it being really admiring of her and this and that and everything's peachy keen and then he goes and almost kills Nate by like <laughs> literally on and off switch. Right. Um and anyways, it focuses on yeah, Fezco more, which was really nice too. So I I personally, even though Kat I enjoyed her exploration in the first season, like I think um it's a a kind of a cool creative yeah. choice and to this, give some characters more room. Yeah, and Kat and Maddie I think they're the two that got sidelined the most. They also had development in these seasons. Like Kat was trying to figure out why she wasn't into this amazing guy that's totally into her. And mm-hmm. Maddie's uh, trying to learn how to be a good person mm-hmm. like <laughs> to, to her friend yeah. when really just, yeah. And she's got the whole thing with the girl from Teen Titans, who the, the mom that mm-hmm. like gave her the dress. Remember? Her, her name is Samantha in the show. Oh, that she was babysitting for. Oh, oh. yeah, that was Minka Kelly. Yeah, Minka Kelly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's from. She's in Teen Titans. Opposite the guy who's playing Reacher. Oh, back to the explicit thing. By the way, yeah. I was reading a whole article on Sam. Uh, so there was this article I read, but basically about how with a lot of shows, as you guys would probably confirm, the director or like the the creator of the show isn't uh, as closely like talked about as like the characters or the cast, right? A lot of times like directors can kind of be sidelined, especially to like, especially to like an audience that maybe isn't looking things up. Mm -hmm. Um, 
or trying to create that knowledge background. But um, basically, the article was saying how this show, like the characters are almost synonymous with the creator because he literally wrote and directed almost every single episode, which even shows today a lot of times every episode is directed by different directors or there's kind of a balance. Anyway, so there's been a lot of um, major fan talk about things they dislike about the second season or where he took certain characters, lots of Twitter wars and all of that stuff, which was interesting, which I thought it's kind of a separate conversation, but like Mm kind of, I was thinking about like the role of like the auteur and the audience and like, it should it just be about what the auteur or the author meant or is it equally important what the audience, what it means to the audience? That's something I was thinking about. Big question. Yeah. We, I mean, we That's why I opened with the joke about Sam Levinson being the cishead white male. Yeah. Young dude. Zendaya, actually, in that article, she they quoted her saying, basically, she has this theory that all the characters are figments of Sam Levinson's personality. Yeah. And like experiences. It's typically how. Um, which is interesting too. Writing works, right? Is you take parts of yourself and put them into the characters. But it's, I mean, I'm glad you said that because Sam Levinson was, at least, in, I mean, so the story goes, because HBO has these post episode featurettes, you know, about the show and the making of the episode. And especially in that mid series episode, the, each one for Zendaya and uh, Jules in between seasons one and seasons two. Zendaya. Zendaya. Uh, Sam worked hard with those actors and actresses to make sure that those characters' journeys were not only good for the story, but also authentic to the actors, to the performers themselves. And so he worked really hard, especially with Jules being the trans character that she is, to make sure that that journey was authentic to her experience in real life mm-hmm. and make, making sure the story was honest and, yeah. and um, it didn't compromise any mm-hmm. of that journey for the sake of it pandering to anybody. There was just, there was a desire to be honest and to be authentic. Yeah. So they're even credited as producers, Zendaya and Hunter Schaefer. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I don't, this is kind of a side note, but I guess like Minka Kelly and Sydney Sweeney both basically said like, I don't want to be topless. <laughs> yeah. At, at a certain point, like Sydney Sweeney said, like, I don't think I, I really want to do that in this scene because she had been shown so many times and um he was like that's fine yeah there's been a whole lot of like you said internet discussion and a lot of twitter uh energy was mixed up uh specifically in the second series like you said uh, on on the internet against sam because of what the show is handling like the male gaze on certain characters yeah they were a lot of people were trying to attack him for the story he was telling but hbo has stood with him and the actors have stood with him Mm -hmm. uh, in saying everything is fine and i think euphoria was one of the first shows to use an intimacy coordinator on set because of the sexual yes i heard that yeah and i i do think there's there's a place for it each character because like even with sexuality it's it each character explores it so differently yeah and even someone like cassie where the criticism was like oh he's focusing the male gaze on her (laughs) it's sexualizing her but the thing is not to discredit her at all um 
but she, as a character, she wants the male gaze on her. Yeah. That's part of what... That's part of her character. What has what she's done to create her identity and yeah. her security is to have that male gaze on her, like even to the point where it shows that sequence of her getting up at 4 a.m. every day, oh, yeah. spending this obscene amount of time on every detail of her body and outfit and everything. So that when she goes to high school, she gets certain attention. Yeah. So I think that... Yeah, he's using everything strategically. And it's not just, I think, to show a girl, you know, it's a not certain just way. Gratuitous. Yeah. yeah. There's always an there's always a, a a purpose. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of the the girls in the show aren't shown in that way. But some are, but it's for I think it is for specific reasons based on their own mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. identities. Right? Yeah. The show's not here to glamorize those things, and especially mm-hmm. drug use, to mm-hmm. pivot to another point. It's not glamorizing those things. It's here to criticize those things. Like, we wouldn't see all the fallout from these things happening in the show if it wasn't that way. Like like I said earlier, episode five with Rue, the whole episode is dedicated to her uh, breaking down because of her heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you can watch this show, really, and say it glamorizes the sexual exploitation of minors or no. like drug use or violence when you're seeing the it's consequences hard, it's of the actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean, to, to go back to your question, Ali, about like the explicit nature and imagery that's used, I think for the sake of this show or the, the purpose of this show, I think it does it to try to show as realistic of, of a portrayal which is funny because it's the opposite of what I was saying earlier, but as realistic of a portrayal of, I don't know, sexuality, I guess, in the show or or whatever they're going through in those moments. But like, I was really shocked, honestly, because in the first season, when they were showing Kat's journey, where she was like, kind of doing her whole uh, dominatrix. I was gonna say (laughs) dominatrix, but it's, it's uh, like online cam stuff. yeah. Yeah. She like was scrolling through websites, and there were actual like, pornographic thumbnails on like Im- on the images like it showed actual porn like stuff and i was like oh my gosh the show actually is showing that like it's not you know it's not like uh what was that what was that joseph gordon Levin movie with scarlett johansson don juan don juan is it don juan yeah. don something yeah don john don john don john yeah, it's not like Don John where it, it, it like hints at porn and doesn't really show it because it can't really go there because it's a movie. Yeah. This is an HBO show and it actually goes there. And so that's what we mean when we talk about the explicit nature. Where, But I do think, you know, as I've heard uh, like other parents of especially like Gen Z kids talk about them navigating their kids' lives as they come up in middle school, high school, as they're as they're sort of traversing that whole environment, from what I could tell, it's a lot gnarlier when it comes to sexuality than it was when I was in yeah at that I mean, age. Big time. Like they're they're seeing a lot and they're experiencing things that yeah. I never experienced growing up because I grew up in a time before cell phones, and so I I, I can't even imagine what this generation's going through with. Uh, the information age and having, you know, infinity in your back pocket, that kind of thing. And power of the sun in the palm of your hands. Yeah. And so that generation is, is seeing things and experiencing things that a lot of other generations never have. And so I think the gratuitous, well, it's not really gratuitous, but 
It feels that way. But the explicit nature of the show is to mirror and uh, exemplify the realness of what that generation is experiencing Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's meant to be taken lightly. You know, like like the way it's presented is very much like, oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, these it's, kids are going. I mean, heavy. maybe I'm out of touch just because, like, I'm <laughs> not around high schoolers at mm-hmm. this stage of my life. But it's often, it just feels so heavy it's and often so shocking. Yeah, so much for these young people to be exposed to and to know, like, what to do with that exposure. Yeah, totally. And what it does to the brain and what it does to their relationships and the way they view sex and people and themselves yeah yeah literally rewiring the brain yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so changing gears here a little bit because i think we've talked a lot about that in this episode but what did you guys think about the humor in the show because there's oftentimes i think we all found ourselves laughing at like ridiculous <laughs> mom. situations that that are actually very they're meant to be played she needs an exorcism yeah, so funny. <laughs> they're meant to be played kind of Suze like is the best. Real so and they're they're coming off of like really traumatic scenes or dramatizing scenes, but the situation is just so funny it's really hard not to laugh and I was just curious if you guys had any comments about that. I really liked the humor in the show personally. I, yeah. I found myself laughing at a lot of the show. Yeah. Not, not just the comedy because <laughs> it was written to be funny at points. But just some of the scenarios and the situations they find themselves in, these characters, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, even when it wasn't meant to be humorous, I was just, I found myself laughing because it was so ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And this show goes the extra mile to be ridiculous at times. Yeah. Like it's so, it's so self-aware, I think, of, mm-hmm. of what it is. And yeah. it's uh, often- Especially in season two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for like, sure. It's like the show itself is narcissistic. Yeah, following these kind of narcissistic characters. I love when Cassie's brooding, looking through the door to the auditorium, and yes. Rue sees her oh and turns God. around. Oh that was nightmare fuel. Yeah, but, but no, Rue's Rue's response. She oh was so like, yeah. yeah, so Rue is hilarious because <laughs> she always has yeah these responses where she makes that face. I wish I could show everyone, but like you know that face she makes like yeah. <laughs> but she she oftentimes breaks that what fourth wall Mm -hmm. she breaks the fourth wall and she'll look at the camera and make this like smirk to the audience like when something's gonna go down (laughs) like before she like breaks into a house or whatever it is that's happening or maybe someone's being ridiculous and she just looks at us and is like Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so i think um yeah i think the self-awareness is there and also just like rue being our narrator and our Mm. kind of person that we follow through the show um like we kind of share that humor with her you know Mm -hmm. yeah especially when she's not like totally disconnected like when she's when she's aware and attentive Mm -hmm. it it plays a lot better i really i have to say zendaya i didn't really know much about her nor care for her acting and other things i've seen her in but once episode five of season two hit like you were saying gabe I think I was texting you while watching it, like live texting it to you. Episode five, season two? Yeah, I was like freaking out because I, I thought Zendaya, I'll, I think from, from here on, I'll always look at her as someone who can really bring it as far as her performance I think it was goes. all building up to that for her. But she she really acted so well. Like her acting in that episode was, was, 
was amazing. I was really impressed. By I felt her, like I was there with skills. her. Yeah. Like the camera was literally just following around somebody having a breakdown because of the drug use. She just did. She just did such a good job. And I, I got mad respect for her now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, even outside of the, in, the, the humor of the show, like mm-hmm. Steven mentioned, they're also incredibly like, not just surrealist moments. Like we've mentioned, like some incredible, some pretty super funny dream sequences like daydream sequences for the characters like cats whole dothraki fantasy oh yeah <laughs> but also there's some really tense and oftentimes horror adjacent inspired moments in the show and mm. it remi- it reminded me how this show is literally produced by a24 remind me is it of it's what? literally produced by a24 oh, i didn't know that of what moments were horror adjacent uh specifically for me maybe it's just because of recency bias but in the last episode it was one of the last two episodes. There are two sequences, one of which is Nate Jacobs is having that sequence and it ends in him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's during the stage production. It's the, I think it's supposed to follow the part in Lexi's play, the super homoerotic. Workout scene? Yeah, where they're in the gym. That's so good. And it, zoom, it does this incredible like vintage classical cinema slow zoom into the crowd onto Nate Jacobs' face. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes into a, a nightmarish, like horrific sequence where he, it cuts to him and he's in like a room and he's looking in a mirror at his own back. Yeah. Yeah. And then he turns around and there's like several different women involved. There's like Maddie is there and Cassie's there and Jules is there and it, and it ends with him being sexually assaulted by By his own father. Yeah. And it was, is insane. And That, that, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole show. Yeah. I literally, while I was watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, I bet Gabe is watching this. I watched it. Out. I watched yeah. it four times. I kept re- rewinding. Because it's so good. Nate's complexity as a character is so good. Yeah. Like, because you start out, and I don't know, I feel like probably a lot of people, like myself, didn't care too much for him. Like, I don't know. He just, they kind of presented him as this jock type character with anger issues, and then it just dives in. Yeah. And it's, a lot in the season finale of season one where his dad does jump on top of him and they have that that yes. argument and then he starts kicking and screaming in his and, and smashing anger. things yeah and his dad goes and sits down in the other room i was like oh, that gosh. was when i just immediately i mean it's kind of twisted but i fell in love with that character because i was like oh my gosh the compassion comes in yeah i get it because he's just he's extremely angry and broken and what is, Which is what, something I can relate to. And anger <laughs> comes to father issues. Anger is often described as yeah, basically yeah. like it's mis, mis, misplaced, ang- misplaced hurt. Hurt, yeah, yeah. All the characters have some. <laughs> a lot of a lot of daddy issues. A lot of bit. missing fathers in this show. Yeah. Which is ultimately like parentage is like such a. It's basically the probably the single most contributing factor to mm-hmm. trauma. In terms of like, it's something everybody will that have. and then personality, like le- like the case between Lexi and Jules's and character was her mom though, yeah, which was interesting. And yeah. then what? Yeah, her mom like had her own thing. Well, she she, she put she put her into a mental institution. Yeah, but then her mom was also like oh yeah, yeah, as yeah. on a completely different note, her mom then had her own drug addiction, right? Which Jules then had to deal with her like trying to get back into her life. Sure, it's crazy. It's there's so many layers yeah. to mm-hmm. everything that's happening. And that's yeah. why I love the show. <laughs> and it's done so well. I was I was amazed. It really shows. I, I was trying to find out like more behind the scenes stuff. And they were pouring like 10 million plus 
bucks into every single episode. And wow. that, that was season one. Wow. I don't know if they upped it for season two. I imagine they did. I, gu- I guarantee you they did. Because this is literally like one of the cash cows. Yeah. I think you said how popular it is, Stephen, but I think the season finale of season two might have been the biggest uh, single like uh, like night for HBO. And I think it crashed the website, but that's not hard wow. to do because HBO Max is a shit interface. So I like HBO Max's interface more than, say, a lot of streaming Pe- Peacock? sites. Yeah. Well, a lot of streaming sites are really bad uh, <laughs> interface. But yeah. I already said his name, but Labyrinth, uh, your score, if you're listening to this, your score for this show is amazing. Well and done. And the soundtrack. Well and done. Your name. Great. A huge part of the success <laughs> of the show. Yeah. Allie. It's cool. I never expected to love this show as much as I did. And now I was, I can't wait for more. I'm just like. Do you think what's happen? What's going to happen next? I was kind of afraid that it was they weren't going to do more because it was it, some of it kind of felt like tying up. Like Zendaya was like, "Yeah, I stay clean for the rest of the school year," and like, like almost like they were like skipping it. Well, I think ahead to an end. Point. Yeah, I think they're going to jump into the summer right before senior year, or into senior year, like fall. Yeah, it did have. A- but some of the characters will be graduated, yeah. like Maddie and Nate and Cassie. Oh, really? Well, they could just show the end of that year, you know. That's true. True. I don't know. Plus, at the the finale of season one, played scenes that ended up happening in the middle of season two, so it could be a precursor. To unless that. they're junior, unless Maddie and them are juniors, and then Zendaya is a sophomore. I don't know. I'm yeah. I don't well, know. no, Maddie's eighteen. Maddie's eighteen, so they're probably seniors. classic. Classic Maddie. <laughs> yeah. Well. You heard it here first. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Euphoria. Euphoria, check it out. Uh...